0: Okay. Tonight I get the the privilege of uh uh introducing Nate and uh which is really cool because as a sophomore coming in here super depressed uh, Nate continued to to call me up even though I intentionally did not answer my phone for the first month or so. But somehow I ended up at the second retreat of the year. Really Made Christ my Lord, and uh, here I stand. Um, And man, it's the amount of time and energy Nate has put into my life is crazy. Um, I love him to death, and he has so much to offer. Uh, So give him your time, give him your word, or your what's the word? Tension. (laughs) Listen to his word. So, cool. All right. Oh, right here, Time. All right, guys. Well, I get the privilege of talking about confidence in a chaotic world. That's the title of this: confidence in a chaotic world. And going into this week, nobody knew what was going to happen in our nation with this election. And coming out of the election, I'm not sure anybody knows what's going to happen with this nation. <laughs> I checked the news today and the headline was the circus is still happening. There's still riots going on and craziness. This week has been uh, an example. It's been an illustration of the reality that this world is chaotic, right? And our nation is chaotic. And to be honest, a lot of times we are absolutely wrapped up in it. You guys, your life abundance and fruitfulness is going to be directly proportional to your confidence. you get that? It's true. As you approach life, as you approach all that God has for you, if you are saddled with insecurity and unwilling to get past that and walk in confidence, you will never be able to experience the abundant life God has for you. You will never be able to experience the fruitfulness God has for you if you are absolutely ensconced, if you're if you're grounded in your own insecurity and unwilling to trust God with that and go beyond that and walk in the confidence that he has for you. Guys, God wants us to be confident in so many different areas. He wants you to be confident in your walk with him. If you, if you look at the word confidence in Scripture, probably more than anything else, you'll find that you are called to approach God with confidence. If you don't approach Him with confidence, if you're insecure in your walk with God, you're going to be insecure everywhere else also. So you're called to walk confidently in this world, grounded in a confident walk with God. You're called to have confidence in your relationships. We were talking earlier today about how everybody is always worrying about what everybody else thinks about them, and we all fall prey to this. But the reality is that we're called to have confidence in our relationships. I can't treat Dane the way God wants me to treat Dane if I'm worried about what Dane thinks about me. So I need to walk in confidence in my relationships. I'm called to walk in confidence in my family as a husband. We talked earlier today, Austin did, about a husband's role in his family, to lead his family. And you can't do that without confidence. But so many men today are saddled with insecurity in their families. They don't know how to be a husband that honors a wife, that honors their kids, that honors God and the relationships that God's given them. Brandon, every time I think about you, I think of that example of a godly husband, and I barely know you. Uh, Somebody told me a quote about Brandon years ago, and I got to just say it here to affirm you. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he said, I see that in that man more than anybody else I know. (laughs) So anyway, he's an example of this confidence in marriage. And thank you for what you've encouraged me and my family in years past. God has called you to be confident in your fellowship with other believers. He's called you to be confident in the ministry he's called you to. Every one of you has been tasked with the Great Commission. As a disciple of Christ, you're called to make disciples of all nations. That's not just for your pastor. But you can't do that if you are unwilling to walk in the confidence that you have in Christ. Guys, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that we're to glorify God in all that we do. Doing that requires confidence. It's not easy to take a stand in hard situations to point to Christ in all that I do. And if I'm not walking in his confidence, I'm not going to do it 90% of the time. I say all this to let you know that if you want to walk in confidence in the chaotic world that we find ourselves... Pay attention tonight. A whole lot is on the line. We're going to be specifically talking about some areas that Peter challenged the early church of his day to walk in confidence in. Guys, masculine passivity is paralyzing the body of Christ, right? We're called to break that cycle to walk in the confidence God has for us at this time in human history. Acts 17, 26, and 27, we quoted a lot, says that we were put here for this very time that the people around us would find Christ. We cannot afford to walk in insecurity, passively refusing to walk in the confidence that God has called us to walk in, missing the opportunities that he puts all around us. So guys, a lot of men, when we talk about confidence, have baseline lack of it. Does that make sense? Guys are thinking about things that they struggle with, secret sin that they think nobody else has ever dealt with, which is not true. Most men have dealt with it, and the first step to beating it is getting with another guy and letting him know that you're dealing with it, getting some accountability. But I want to put all that behind us and say, right now, your confidence starts with God, His work, and His, His word. He's begun a work in you that he will bring to completion. The gospel alone is where confidence starts. You are nothing on your own, but through Christ, you're his son. Because you have put your faith and trust in him, you're his son and you can confidently walk with him in this dark world. If you've never taken that step, I would encourage you tonight, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. You will never have confidence until you do. You might have arrogance, but not true confidence. Okay, So it starts with Christ. Guys, confidence is critical. We are called to confidently serve God in every context and every circumstance. And we're going to look at that. But I wanted to start by turning to 1 Peter. I'm going to be jumping around a lot so there's not just one passage that we're going to read. But we're going to be looking at some of these themes as they come up throughout the whole book. But there's kind of a key verse that to me is my foundation for confidence, and I think it will be for you too. And that's chapter 2, verse 25, okay? So let's turn there and read that together, and then we'll keep going. But 2.25 says, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Isn't that incredible? The shepherd and overseer of your souls. Can you be confident knowing that he is the shepherd and overseer of your soul? Could anything steal that confidence from you if you're convinced of that? Our confidence starts with him. Now, I want to talk about this because it's easy to get our confidence in the wrong things, isn't it? What are some of the things that we put confidence in? President. The president, a career, what else? Dr. The Broncos, it's true. Not last week, I guess. Uh, any other areas that we put our confidence? Our own talents and abilities, our own talents and abilities ourselves. What else? Popularity. Popularity. Achievement. Achievement. Money. money, right? All these things let us down. None of these things offer true confidence. Guys, if your confidence is in the wrong things, it will always let you down. And it will let you down big. Tell you an example. Every year I do a daddy daughter dance with my daughters, and I always think, I've taken a dancing class, I'm getting a little better each year, so I'm not going to be that bad. I have false confidence. And I get there every year, and there are one or two dads that rock the dance floor, and they make every other guy there feel absolutely insecure. Okay, it happens every single year. And I find out every year my confidence is complete ignorance. <laughs> it's misplaced. There's no reason for it when it comes to that dance floor. Right? I don't have... So I just sit there and like, kind of like act awkward for three hours. But uh, I have no confidence by the end of the night. Guys, you were lost and insecure. Now you can rest confidently in his capable hands. Now this is where we pick up Peter peter is writing to to christians that are dispersed throughout the roman empire and they've faced persecution for many years now by different emperors and at the time that he's writing this nero is the emperor this is the guy that makes human candles with christians okay this is the guy that feeds christians to lions do you think they have a lot of confidence in the world that they're living in right Hillary, Trump, I'll take either of them any day over Nero. In fact, Nero ends up beheading the guy that wrote this letter, Peter, obviously after this letter was written. So these people had every reason to lack confidence in the world that they lived in. But to these people, Peter calls them to stand firm in any context and in every circumstance serving God. It wasn't just to to be happy. There was a purpose to their confidence. So we can have ignorant confidence, which is based in all those things that we talked about. That comes easy. That comes naturally. It's kind of effortless because we're proud. It's easy to convince ourselves that in spite of a lifetime of proof to the contrary, we got it covered. Right? i got to give you this, this hilarious story that totally proves this point. When I was young, my dad said, never pick up a snake with a heart-shaped head, okay? If you see a snake with a heart-shaped head, it's a poisonous snake. I think he's right, right, Russ? Maybe Russ was a wildlife biologist, so he's probably right. I incorrectly, years later, assumed that if a snake didn't have a heart-shaped head, it was safe. So, can we show a picture of a snake that I picked up in Nepal? So I was on a mission trip in Nepal in 1997 and I found a beautiful little brown snake Isn't that guy cute Beautiful, right? It doesn't have a heart-shaped head. Looks like my thumb. It was docile. It wasn't it wasn't Upset it wasn't difficult to catch I caught it and I thought I'd play a trick on the girls and our team so I put it in a Ziploc bag and I put it on their bed And I put pillows around it so they couldn't see the outline of the bag. And I thought, this is great. They're going to come in and see this snake on the bed. The Nepali hosts came home before us, freaked out, and started saying, very, very dangerous, very, very dangerous. They take it outside and they beat it to death with sticks. Okay. And I thought, what do they know? I had all sorts of ignorant confidence. (laughs) So about a year ago, my wife says, you should uh, Google what kind of snake that was, because I've always told the story. So I Googled like brown snakes, Chitwan, Nepal, you know, and I found this picture and I said, that's it right there. Let's see what kind of snake it is. It's a lesser black crate, okay? Some lists put crates in the top 10 most dangerous snakes in the world, (laughs) isn't that crazy? (laughs) And they kill lots of people. All right, that was ignorant confidence (laughs) that could have ended my life 19 years ago, right? My encouragement to you is that ignorant confidence will kill you. So don't go there. You need to have authentic confidence, right? I'm going to quote an infamous theologian. How many of you guys uh, have ever watched The Three Amigos? (laughs) Infamous, it means... (laughs) more than famous (laughs) remember that one of my favorite lines all right the infamous theologian is charles darwin you ever hear of him he said ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge good quote i wish he would have applied it to some of his own theory but ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge it's easy to get trapped in ignorant confidence My challenge to you is to not go there, but to make sure that you're grounded in authentic confidence. If you're not, you will not thrive in this chaotic world. If you are, you will thrive in this chaotic world. Okay, mindlessly putting your confidence in yourself, your emotions, your circumstances, other people, our nation, our politicians, anything other than Christ, his word, and his work is dangerous. Authentic confidence takes discipline. It takes reminding yourself every time your own self wants to prop up ignorant confidence, saying, my confidence is in what? It's in the Lord. It's in his word. It's in the work that he's done in my life and is doing in my life. My confidence is in him alone. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3.3, I place no confidence in the flesh. If anybody could, it was him, but he didn't. His confidence was in Christ alone. He said i'm not picking up the lesser black crates (laughs) my confidence is in the right thing it's not ignorantly placed it's in god alone my challenge to you as we talk about being confident in a chaotic world is to ground your confidence in christ alone in his word alone in his work alone if it's not grounded there you will crash and burn every single time okay now, grounding your confidence there, you can walk with, contact, with confidence in any context. And I'm going to talk about uh, kind of the natural context of our world, the political context, if you want. Peter's audience was facing confidence-killing issues like Nero, a murderous Roman ruler, persecution throughout the empire. Like I said, if anybody had reason to... Lack confidence, it was them. But to them, he calls them to trust the overseer and the shepherd of their souls. Last week, before the election, I put a verse on Facebook, Psalm 119, 8. It says, not to trust in princes, but to trust in the Lord. Again, our confidence can't be in the wrong place. It has to be in the right place. Now, you're in a dark and chaotic world, and it's for a reason Do you remember how Jesus said in John 17 that he didn't want to take you out of the world, but he wanted to leave you in the world that he actually sent you into the world that the world would hate you because it hated him. Do You remember all that stuff? It's true. You've been sent into this world. And now that you're here, regardless of the context, you're called to walk in confidence with him. All right. So how do we do that? In 1 Peter 2.13, we are told to submit to every authority for the Lord's sake. We're called to live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. So we're called to walk in authority to the governance of this world as long, and I'll mention this in a minute, as it doesn't conflict with our call to obey Christ. But we're not here to wreck things up politically. Does that make sense? We're not here to get sidetracked on political issues. And believe me, if ever there was an area to sidetrack me, that would be it. But we're called to walk in confidence, peacefully, submitting to the authorities that be. And it's easy to think, well, we're supposed to do that with godly authorities. But remember who the authorities were when Peter wrote this. (laughs) We're talking Nero, right? We're not called to get our focus on the here and now. We need to keep our focus on Christ. In 1 Peter 2.15, it says that while we're here, submit to earthly authority according to the Lord's will, silencing the ignorant talk of foolish men. What's at stake here is our reputation. God wants us focused on him, glorifying him in every situation, not getting sidetracked with earthly things and blowing our witness with non-Christians by getting sidetracked on earthly things. Does that make sense? So as we consider walking confidently in the context of this nation, of this world, we're to do it peacefully in a way that doesn't sidetrack people from the whole reason we're here, them finding Jesus. Right? A verse later, he says that while we're here, we're to submit to earthly authority within the Lord's freedom. We have freedom. right? We're not bound by the rulers of this world. And this is where things get really important. In Galatians 5, one, we we're told to stand strong in our freedom. In Galatians, Paul was talking to people that had infiltrated the church. And they are telling them that they had to fulfill the Old Testament law. He said, have nothing to do it with it. Stand strong in your freedom. Don't let anyone make you a slave. That same principle is true throughout our lives, though. And there will be times when our government or when our nation or when the powers of this world will say, you cannot do what God has called you to do. I've been in a country, <laughs> the one we just talked about, where I was not allowed to share my faith. And I did. I did not say, well, the government said not to share my faith, so I won't. I lived in, a, in submission to the authority of the government. I tried not to speed. We didn't eat Beef the whole time we were there, as much as we wanted to. We obeyed the laws of the land. But when it came to what God told us to, we were free to obey God rather than men. Okay, Acts 5.29, the apostles do this, right? They obey God rather than men. And guess who was there doing that when he was told to stop testifying to God? Peter, the author of this book. Now, he's telling us to do the same thing. Live in submission to authority, but you are free in Christ to follow him, to make him known in your context. Does that make sense? So whatever your context, live peacefully, live in submission, be a law-abiding citizen, be confident in Christ, not in your country, but whatever the context of your country, freely obey your Savior, even when that is at odds with your country or wherever you happen to be. You're called to be a light. That's your purpose, right? I'm going to confidently be a light for him in whatever context I find myself. In 541, those same disciples and apostles counted themselves... They they, they thought it was a privilege that they were counted worthy to be persecuted for Christ. So they were living as law-abiding citizens (laughs) in submission to authorities, but also willing to defy... A prohibition against serving and honoring God. And they felt that they were um, blessed to be able to do that. And Jesus promises us that too. Remember in Matthew 5 that you're blessed even when people persecute you for his name's sake. My encouragement to you is that in your lifetimes, you will face persecution. I promise it. In those contexts, serve him. That persecution might be as simple as somebody not liking you on Facebook. That's fine. It might be much bigger than that. That's fine. Warm up to the fact that you have one Savior and you're called to freely serve him in any context that you find yourself. A few years ago at the Fort Lewis College campus, they really restricted us from sharing our faith in several different ways. We were submissive with them. We tried not to um, step on their toes too much. But we did walk through that issue and we made sure that we got that right reinstated The day may come when that won't happen. We'll keep sharing our faith confidently. Does that make sense? I know of a student that almost had to drop out of school Because of their faith in Christ because it was at odds with something that was happening in their program that they are being required to be a part of and That student was willing to back down in order to honor Christ a lot of you are gonna to have to take stands like that guys a lot of you will and my challenge is your temptation will be to passively abdicate and back down God has called you to be men that will confidently step up and take that stand for him in the midst of a society that wants to destroy you are you gonna take that stand Take that stand, guys. Confidently take that stand in whatever context you happen to be. Okay, next we're going to talk about being confident in any circumstance that we find ourselves. So not just the context that we're in, but the circumstances that we're in. Uh, Throughout 1 Peter, we see see many different references to this. Again, these people are facing incredible persecution. Uh, Even today around the world, there's a martyr about every five minutes, they say. Things aren't very different than they were then. Expect it. It's coming. Rejoice in your ability to honor Christ, whatever that context. Peter tells them in, in all these different circumstances, honor God when persecuted for your faith and do it this way. I want to walk this out. We're not just bearing it because we have to, but we can honor God confidently The way God wants us to honor him in other words confidence is going to inspire some of these characteristics here are some of the characteristics that Peter challenges them to exhibit in the face of persecution between chapters three and four he tells them to stand strong in their faith fearlessly being gentle being respectful being clear-minded being armed with his attitude we'll talk a little bit about why that's important later Being committed, you're not backing down because it got hard. Being self-controlled, loving, rejoicing. Can you rejoice in the face of persecution? Praising God and persevering. Isn't that incredible? So whatever our context might be, whatever our circumstance might be, we're called to walk that out confidently in these types of ways. We're called to be fearless, to be gentle and respectful, to be clear-minded, to be armed with his attitude, committed to him, self-controlled, loving, rejoicing, praising, and persevering. We can trust him when we face opposition, whatever that might look like, and we can do more than just bear it. We can thrive confidently in the context of it, pointing to him and shining the light on him, right? Remember these martyrs that were executed last year, these 21 martyrs? Austin's talked about them a lot. On the beach, I can't bring myself to watch the video. By ISIS. ISIS. I got to interview uh, one of the speakers with International Christian Concern. He went and visited with the families of those guys and got to talk about how these men were singing praises to God as they were beheaded on that beach. They'd been given a month to recant. Can you imagine you're put in a room, you're told a month from now you'll be beheaded if you don't reject Christ as Lord. And for a whole month you say, you cannot make me reject my Savior. I'm confident in him alone. And you go to your death praising him, joyfully pointing to him whatever circumstance you you face. Don't you want to be like those guys? Um, I'm not saying that it's going to come to that anytime soon in our nation, and I'm not saying it's not. And I don't know, but many of you might be called the nations where it is a very real possibility. Austin and I were in a country that's pretty safe in the Middle East. There have been martyrs there. And in fact, there had been right before we were there. And uh, yeah, Roger, my father-in-law here too, the three of us were there. And we had to leave our hotel at about midnight one night to get a late night trip back to the airport. And... uh, We didn't speak a word of that language. They didn't speak a word of our language. Do you remember that trip? And I remember leaning over to Austin saying, I hope this guy isn't taking us where they take the missionaries. (laughs) Um, I felt insecure. But you know what? Even if it had come to that, I pray that God would have helped us confidently point to him. Okay, so you're called to, to confidently serve God, whatever the context you're in. And you're called to confidently serve God in any circumstance that you encounter. And in this church, their context was Nero, and their circumstances were intense persecution, right? Ours might not get to that, but whatever they are, we can confidently serve God in them. And that's the the emphasis here, is serving God. We're not just confidently persevering, but we're confidently serving God. In the middle of this book, we see this incredible uh, encouragement, challenge, to give an answer for the hope that we have to anybody that asks us, right? And doing that involves evangelism. People aren't going to ask you about the hope that you have if they don't know you have any hope, right? So this kind of presupposes that we're shining brightly for Christ. We're serving him in our context, in our nation. And as we serve him, we're serving as an example for other believers also, it's not very often that you see people shining for Christ, is it? I mean, there's a guy on campus that, that he's just a precious student. Most of you don't know him. Um, he'll text me often and say, Nate, I'm praying for you and your family. Just a neat guy. And uh, he always says, what I like about your ministry is you guys are up here doing it. A lot of people talk about it, but you guys actually come up here and do it. And that's kind of a sad statement because... <laughs> I wish everybody was up there doing it, right? And we're not the best. We're not the only ones up there doing it. I know there are others that, that do even better than we do. But my point is, is you're called, whatever your context, whatever your circumstance, to be an example to other believers. In 1 Peter 5, Peter gives this incredible encouragement to leaders. Other than Christ's encouragement to leaders in Matthew 20, it's my favorite leadership passage in the New Testament. And he implores them to lead with sincerity, humbly, putting others first, being examples for the flock. Guys, you are called to do that. As you confidently serve God, God wants to make you an example for people all around you of what it means to confidently follow him and serve him in this dark and chaotic world. So my encouragement is, will you accept that that? commissioning from God to stand up as a man and be an example that others can follow. Do you remember what Paul said in first Corinthians 11 1? he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Isn't that incredible, right? What if Corey went up on campus and said, Christians, Christians, any of you that don't feel like you got it together, just do what you see me do. <laughs> Talk about confidence, right? (laughs) Talk about confidence. Just follow my example and you'll be good, guys. Guys, Paul set that example. I want to encourage you to follow that example. In fact, he asked people to follow that example. We as men are called to stand up in this dark nation, in this dark world, and say, we're going to follow Christ. Follow my example. Watch me as I follow Christ. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'll be quick to admit when I'm wrong and point back to Christ. Follow my example. So my encouragement to you is to follow his example. Follow Christ's example. Shine bright for him in whatever context you're in. Howard Hendricks said that the greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership. You think he was right? I think so. There are a lot of talkers, but there aren't very many men standing up saying, I'm going to lead a a life that others could follow my example. I'm going to set an example for others to follow of what it means to... To walk confidently in, in a dark world. What it means to walk confidently in each situation that God puts me in for his glory. Serving him, fulfilling the great commission that he's called me to fulfill. Okay guys, you can't do that in your own power. And Peter tells us that. In 1 Peter 4, 7-11, through 11, he refers back and forth a couple times to walking out in the power of God himself. In the power of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells you commands you to not be drunk with wine but to be filled with the holy spirit each one of you was indwelt with the holy spirit the moment you were saved but each day you have a decision am i going to do this on my own or am i going to surrender to christ let him be on the throne inviting him to empower me through his spirit to do what only he can so as you walk this out there is going to be a constant requirement that you rely on him because you can't do this on your own. Russ would say every 15 minutes, do a throne check. (laughs) And that's not bad advice, guys, because we're never going to be able to confidently serve God until we're continually relying on him in each and every way. Do you know that if we each did this, if we committed to confidently serving him in his power, If we took his great commission as a real command, if we said it's my responsibility to make disciples of all nations, if we would each own it like that, and we actually committed to walking that out confidently in the power of his Holy Spirit, do you know that the great commission could be completed, starting right here in this room, within most of our lifetimes? Did you know that? If we each just multiplied once a year, You've probably heard this statistic, but the entire world would be reached and discipled in less than 30 years, starting with a group this size. If we will join God where he is at, walking in confidence and relying on the power of his spirit, doing the simple things he's called us to, sharing our faith, making disciples, doing the Great Commission, he will gladly use us towards the fulfillment of his Great Commission. He will gladly bring you in to his purposes and allow you to bear fruit for him and fruit that will last. If you remain in him, abide in him, he will bear fruit through you that will last, guys. But it takes saying, I'm done with masculine passivity. It takes saying, I'm ready to step up as an example, walking in the confidence that's only found in him. So we talked about a few themes that we saw in 1 Peter. We talked about being confident in our context. You might consider that the political system that you're in, the nation you're in. We talked about being confident in every circumstance, even when that's terrible circumstances like persecution. And finally, we talked about confidently serving God in each of those areas. So I want to wrap it up with a little application here. 1 Peter one thirteen tells us to prepare our minds for action. And a few chapters later, Peter says in 4.1, to arm yourselves with the same attitude of Christ, right? So we're going to be prepared for action. We're going to confidently engage this dark world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we're going to arm ourselves with Christ's attitude, right? We're prepared for action. We're arming ourselves with his attitude. In Philippians 2.5-11, We're told the same thing, to have the same attitude that Christ had. And we see what that attitude was. You know what the attitude was? He gave up his his position. He took on our humanity. He was fully God and fully man, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself to the point of living like a slave Which was the bottom tier of that society. You couldn't get lower than a slave. This is like each one of us saying, I am willing to humble myself to be considered the most despicable thing in my society. Jesus did that and he went on to face death for us. And we're implored to arm ourselves with that attitude. My reputation isn't what matters, my life isn't what matters. I'm going to arm myself with the attitude of Christ and walk out the action that he's called me to walk out. That's what Peter was telling these people. It's important to prepare ourselves for action and to not be grounded in ignorant confidence like we began with. I want to tell you a short story of a man that had um, a proven track record that gave him incredible confidence. And then I'm going to challenge you with an application and we'll wrap this thing up. So, former French Prime Minister Georges Clemenceau fought many duels. And at this point, he'd never lost because he was still alive. On one occasion, he surprised his second by asking the attendant at a Paris railroad station for a one way ticket to the duel. Isn't that a little pessimistic? asked the second. Not at all, Clemenceau replied. I always use my opponent's return ticket for the trip back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Funny story that I found at Bible.org, right? But it illustrates this 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 uh, grounded confidence, right? And I want you to prepare your minds for action and to have a grounded confidence with a game plan as you leave this place. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I'll close this up after I explain it. Tonight we're going to... Put a little time into writing out some purpose statements as men, okay? And we're going to write out some game plans for actually putting this stuff into practice. Walking confident in our nation. Walking confidently in every circumstance. Confidently serving God when it comes to his great commission. Being willing to humble ourselves and do what he calls us to do regardless of what society says about us. We're going to get alone after this. I mean, you can do it in groups. You can talk. It doesn't have to be like you're alone in a a corner quiet. But we're going to just take some time to work through a few questions and then summarize a statement on the back of this paper. We're going to do that instead of discussion groups, and I think it's going to be incredible. I think you'll walk away with a game plan to have that strong confidence grounded in God's Word because every single question is going to take you back to a key passage that you can make a foundation that you can have confidence in when you consider your life purpose. You guys excited about it? It'll be a good way to take some of this stuff from this weekend and put it into practice. So guys, uh, Peter's challenge to stand confident in a chaotic world was obviously an incredible challenge to those people at that time when Christians were being turned into human candles and fed to lions. But it's equally important that we get Peter's message today. It's equally important that we commit to walking confidently in our nation in any context. It's equally important that we commit to walking confidently in every circumstance that we find ourselves. And it's equally important that we commit to confidently serving God, making our life ambition his great commission. The outcome of this, guys, the abundant life. Don't you want the abundant life Jesus promises? Bill Bright said that. There are no happy disobedient Christians and there are no unhappy obedient Christians. If you feel like you're missing out on the abundant life, and I read a statistic that was just crazy a few years ago. It said that only 9% of Christians feel like they're getting out of their walk with God what they hoped they would. Isn't that devastating? In other words, 90 plus percent of Christians feel gypped in their walks with God well, it's probably because they're not doing this right here. They're not confidently basing everything in Christ alone and letting that inspire everything they do wherever they go. The, the fruit of doing this, guys, so I want to really encourage you to take this step tonight to, to write out this purpose statement, this game plan. The fruit of walking this stuff out in his power, focused on him alone, is the abundant life. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's the Great Commission completed, in our lifetimes even. And it's hearing him someday say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to hear that, don't you? So let's take this tonight, let's put it into practice, and let's leave this place willing to confidently turn this world upside down for him. I'm going to pray, and then uh, I guess we're going to break up into discussion groups. Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here tonight as men. I pray that you'd turn each of us into the confident world changers that you want us to be. Jesus, you're so good to us, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.